So good morning again. It's great to be here. I think I might have already mentioned that, so we'll say it twice because it's really great to be here. Um, but for those of you who don't know me, I know most of you guys do. Uh, this was my home church until I graduated high school, went off to college, and, and have not lived in the area since. Uh, son of Stephen Lisa Eldridge, who most of you guys probably know at this point. So last time I was here, I went through a big list of people to, to thank and uh, just a, a lot of great stuff. And while those are still true, I will spare you the repetition, so I won't go through that whole list again. But I do want to say uh, just how much of an honor it is to get to be here and, again, attempt to teach you guys something when, when this church, this church community, uh, was so impactful in my life and taught me so much. So it is really good to be here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray us into the sermon. I love prayer. I think it's awesome. So uh, if I pray too much, I apologize, but I love doing it. So I'm going to go ahead and pray us into the sermon real quick. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to come worship you and learn more about you. Uh, Lord, right now, we just pray that we'll have open hearts and open minds to what you want to tell us, and that, God, you will speak through me, and and often in spite of me, uh, that others may see you and see your word. Lord, thank you for all you do. In your name we pray. Amen. So another thing about me, I love telling stories. So today, because I did the call to worship, I get to tell two stories, and I'm excited about that. So a couple years ago, I used to have a motorcycle, and I loved that motorcycle. It was a lot of fun. I always liked driving it around. And you put the helmet on, and there was a lot of wind noise in that helmet. You just think about windows down in the car, kind of a similar feeling. So for me, I didn't have headphones, didn't have a radio or anything on this bike, so I would entertain myself in my own ways, and that often involved singing to myself while I drove. Now, my brain works like a broken record, and I'm not saying like a regular broken record, like a really, really broken record, and that I will remember three words of a song, and that's it. That is what's stuck in my head the whole time, and I am just singing that over and over and over and over again. So this story, I'm in college, I am going to school. It's like a five-minute trip from my house to school, if even that. And I'm driving, there's a lot of wind noise, and the song that is that broken record in my head is from an old Swiffer Sweeper commercial, Love Hurts. I've looked this thing up, and I might have actually made up this song. I'm going to be honest. I have tried to find the full song and cannot find it. But in my head, this commercial, they're sweeping. They switch over to the Swiffer, and it, it switches back to the old broom, and it always starts playing this sad song. And in my head, the song goes, Love hurts. Dun, dun. Love hurts. That's all I know. There's other words in the song. That is it. So I'm riding my motorcycle. And all I'm doing is just singing, love hurts, dun, dun, love, over and over and over again. Five minute ride, I myself am getting bored. I am getting bored of this same song over and over again. So me being me, I start making up like different voices for it. So I'm driving and it starts out, just love hurts. And it goes, love hurts, love hurts, like everywhere. And I'm at a stoplight, I'm just singing over and over and over again. And I really wish this was a fake story, honestly. I'm singing over and over, all these crazy voices, and all of a sudden, I hear laughter. And like, wait a minute. And at that point, I realize, my helmet makes me think I'm all right in here. My voice does not stop with the edge of the helmet. And I look over, and there is a car with the windows down at this stoplight dying of laughter at me, absolutely dying of laughter. And so in the moment, I have a choice to make. 
Do I laugh at myself? Do I get embarrassed? I made a choice. They must think, like, they, if I stop, then they'll know I didn't know. I have to let them know I just have no shame. So I keep doing it. I make the choice to keep going on, changing the voices, laughing, whatever, and drive on. And it was one of those times you look back and you're like, I don't know if I made the right choice. I don't think I made the right choice there to try to put all these different voices in and just keep singing the song that may not even exist. Uh, But I made that choice. And when I tell that story, you know, I went back and I mentioned I have a motorcycle. I wore a helmet. I used to sing the wind noise. I give you all the background because you're like, why would I make that choice? But if you know me, you know, it's probably not surprising that I make a fool of myself quite often and I sometimes enjoy doing it. Um, you know that, like, with all that background, I was going to have a choice to make. Whether I would make the right one or not, that depends on the character of me and apparently whatever I was thinking that day to keep singing and embarrassing myself. But you have to look back to see why do people make the choices that they make. And so I will talk through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll talk through the uh, fiery furnace and that. But what I really want to do today is go back, look at their lives, and see why are they the people that, one, we can look at them and know these are the type of people that are going to have to make a choice. They have the character that is going to make them have to make some tough choices. And then, two, why do they make the choices that they make in this moment? So, to give you guys some background... um, The Israelites, we we probably know enough about them, God's chosen people. They are constantly going through the cycle of sinning, going into captivity. Well, I guess at this point, not really captivity, but sinning, getting conquered and getting destroyed, uh, coming back, worshiping God, this, this cycle over and over and over and over and over again. Well, for about 200 years before the Babylonians actually take over, we see that there are prophecies of the Babylonians coming sending the Israelites into exile, taking them into captivity. And so what we see in the Babylonian captivity is that the Israelites have sinned. They have messed up. And because of their sin, because they keep turning their back on God, God allows the Babylonians to take them over, send them into exile, to almost destroy the country uh, until later Cyrus, king of Persia, which is another prophecy, comes back and lets them back into Israel. And that's where we hear about Ezra and Nehemiah and the building of the walls and a lot of cool stuff. So that's kind of where we are at. Uh, It's about 600 B.C. when all this happens, a little bit disputed on the dates. But that is the context um, of the Babylonian captivity. So... I'll give you a little bit more context before we get to the fiery furnace. At this point, where we are at in the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is that they were kidnapped from their families by the Babylonians, who looked for these awesome men and tried to turn them into um, wise men or counselors for king. So they are they're kidnapped, but through their whole lives, they're just doing these really awesome things, really showing the glory of God. And so at this point, Daniel is the leader, the chief official of an entire province. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three administrators underneath Daniel. So these guys have pretty prominent um, spots in the Babylonian empire at this point. So I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today, so instead of having all the verses on the Bible, I'll go ahead and get, or on the screens, I'll give you a heads up. We're going to be in Daniel 1, 2, and 3 for pretty much the entirety of it. 
Um, so feel free to open to that if you'd like to follow along. Uh, if not, feel free to just listen as I read. So I'm going to start uh, Daniel 3, verses 4 through 18. And where we start in verse 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the leader of the Babylonians, has decided he's going to build this giant tower of himself. And everybody needs to prove their allegiance to him by bowing down and worshiping this tower of the statue of himself. And that's where we get right here. In verse 4, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews from whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So again, just to to pull out of this real quick, what they're saying is there are some Jews who you have treated really well who you have put in high positions who aren't bowing down. Not only does this look bad because you've treated them well and they're not coming and worshiping you, other people are looking up to these guys because they're over provinces. They're administrators in your service. So there are some Jews from whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor, nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And so the rest of that story goes on. Obviously, they don't bow down. The king gets very upset with them. He throws them into the fiery furnace. He has them bound up. He has the furnace brought seven times hotter. So hot that the people that throw them into the furnace actually die in the process. Throws them in the furnace, and he's probably pretty pleased with himself. And suddenly the king is very shocked because he sees four people walking around in the fiery furnace. And he says, how many did we throw in? It was just three, right? And so the Bible tells us that was Jesus in there walking around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the fiery furnace. And they do. And when they come out, they realize that there is no smell of smoke. 
their hair is not singed. They have not been touched by the fire. And so we get to the next point and we say, so why were these men willing to stand up against the king? Why were they confident enough to say, you know what, we're not going to worship your God? And we can look back in a few verses that they had right here. Um, in Daniel 3, this is actually just verse 17 uh, and 18. And they say there, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold you have set up. So what they tell him right there is they're giving him the reasons why they are willing to go into the fiery furnace. And it's really three different things. They're saying our God is able. Our God can Our God will save us. And then they say, but even if he doesn't. And they say, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. So they're saying he can and he will. And they're confident enough in those two to stand up against the king. But they're also saying, even if he doesn't, that does not shake what we believe and the ground that we stand on. And so, again, this is just a crazy story, and we have to look back in their lives and see why were they the ones uh, to make that choice, to make that decision. Um, but in a little aside, I want to point out, after Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace, they're talking to the king, and, and he's just mind-blown. And so he changes his ways, and in verse 28, he says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or any language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. And we see that through their actions, the heart of this king is changed. Completely changed. And I always like to put myself in these stories and think of them as as real stories and real people because that's what they are. And this verse always kind of cracks me up in a a weird way and that the king is literally trying to kill anyone who won't bow down to his gods. Suddenly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace and he's like, never mind, never mind, I was wrong, I was wrong. Anybody who doesn't worship these people, we're going to go ahead and kill those people. And we can see through the life of King Nebuchadnezzar just how fickle he is on these matters and how many times he does change his mind. But even with that, even with uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seeing those things, they still choose every time to follow God and change the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar a few times before he ends up getting to uh, this point. And even after this story, that he, he falls back again uh, into pride, and God has to save him. But we'll go ahead. And we'll look back. And so to see why these three men trusted God, we can look back onto their early lives. And we we should do that. And so I'm going to go ahead and turn to Daniel 1. And we're going to start in verse 6. And now I kind of already mentioned this context again. So one thing that the king of Babylon, what Nebuchadnezzar would do, when they would conquer a nation, most of the people at that time, when they conquer a nation, they would go through, kill everybody or kick everybody out, completely exile them. One thing that Nebuchadnezzar did that was very, very wise 
he would go in, conquer a nation, try to kick a bunch of people out, but he would pick the best, the smartest, the wisest of all the people there, the top, you know, 10, 5, 1% of those people. He would take them into his courts. He would train them up. He would treat them really, really, really well. And then he would have them serve him. So now you have these guys from these, these places that you've destroyed that have treated, been treated really well. They're now following this king. They're now brought in. He takes the wisdom from the other societies. He takes the knowledge from them. He also now, if those people come back in, if, if in this case the Israelite people come back into, his, uh, into Babylon, he has someone to put in charge of them that knows what they're like, that knows how they respond, that can relate to those people, and that they can see are following the king. And it gives them an example on how they should behave. So very, very smart uh, with what King Nebuchadnezzar does. So I'm going to start in verse 6. So among those that were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved to not defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief, of, chief official for permission to not defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding, all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So a summary of of all that we just read. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the best of the best in their land. They get kidnapped and brought into the king's palace, and they're told to follow these things, this really easy, this nice life that the king is promising them they can have. But they stand up for what they believe in. They say, you can change my name, but you can't change my diet, which sounds kind of like a goofy thing. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that. And in turn, they're rewarded by God for doing that. And so... What we see from these men is that they know the scriptures. They know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. They're, they're again, the wisest, the best. But they know that in the Old Testament, the name is not the most important thing uh, when it comes to your holiness, when it comes to your righteousness. But what they do know, there are direct commands on what kinds of food they're allowed to eat and that they're not allowed to eat. So they know their scriptures. And they know when they need to stand out for something, when they need to apply it. What we also see about them in this first chapter is that they have the choice to choose an easy life, to still be leaders of Babylon, to still get to live in the palace, to eat great food, to drink great wine, to live this awesome life. 
But they are men of character at this point that they say, no, we know the scriptures, we know what we're supposed to do, and we choose this. Because they're wise, you know, Daniel goes to the guy in charge of them and he says, hey, let's test this out. Like, let's not, not ban this completely. I understand where you're coming from, the concerns that you have, so let's just test it out. Let's just try this a little bit and, and we'll see what happens. And because of that, again, God rewards them for what they do. So we see early on in their lives, they're assumed to be between 12 and 18 years old at this point. Very early on in their lives, they know the scriptures, they apply the scriptures, and they choose God. To see why they choose God, why they stand up in the fiery furnace, now we need to go to Daniel 2. There's more stories there. So I'm going to read a few more verses uh, from Daniel 2. And we're going to start in verse 13. And before we get there, one thing that Nebuchadnezzar does is he has these wise men, and he always has these dreams, and he wants them to interpret the dreams for him. But he, again, being a wise man, he knows to bring people in and how to bring them in and and, um, make them over the communities and all, all the cool stuff we talked about earlier. He's a little bit skeptical. And so this time he has a dream, and it really, really bothers him. But instead of telling his wise men, here's what my dream was, now tell me what it means, he says, I want to know that you guys know what this dream means. So I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me the dream, and then tell me what it means. And the wise men of the day, they come to him and they say, no king has ever asked anyone to do this. This is absolutely impossible for us to do. And Nebuchadnezzar gets very, very angry. And so he sends out an order to kill all of the wise men in Babylon. And that includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's where we jump into the story right here. In verse 13 it says, So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he may interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised God and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dreams for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. So the king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? 
And now this is another part where I kind of pull myself out. And you think of this as real people, a real story that's happening. And this next part that Daniel replies is, is almost humorous to me. So the king, he's trying to kill all the wise men because they can't tell him his dream. And they can't tell him the interpretation of it. And so Daniel says, when the king asks, so can you tell me what I saw and interpret it? And Daniel says, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. That's his response. Nobody can do that. So that you have to know the king is just getting furious now. Like, you're just trying to buy time again. And he's probably calling Ariok in like, all right, go ahead, execute this guy. We've given him enough time. And Daniel says, but, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown the king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were laying in bed are these. So Daniel makes it very clear. And by doing that, he's evoking the emotions of the king. He's making him really mad. Nobody can do this. Daniel says, absolutely, nobody can. But there is a God in heaven who is able to do this. Daniel goes on and he tells the king his dream. And he tells him what it means. And obviously you can read the chapter and see what that dream is and, and what that dream meant. Um, and the prophecies that were within that, that God had actually gave to Nebuchadnezzar uh, and interpreted through Daniel. But that's not important for, for this today. But when Daniel tells the king his dream, he interprets the meaning of it. We hop down to verse 47. And I'll start in verse 46. And it says, The king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor uh, and ordered an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. So here's the first example that we get to read and see where Daniel relies fully on God, where Shadok, Meshach, and Abednego rely Fully on God. God comes through for them, and he changes the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. There's an example of Nebuchadnezzar saying, wow, this guy is the God of gods, the king of kings. And so we can look at Daniel, and there's something that, I, that stood out to me. And that when he gets this dream revealed to God, he prays to God. And when he prays, it's not after King Nebuchadnezzar has given him all these things. He starts praying before it's been proven that what he thinks is God's word, what he thinks is um, the revelation, has been proven to be that. He starts praising God. And we see that in verse 19 of chapter 2. And we see his knowledge of God there too. He says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings. And raises up others. You see, through that prayer, we can see that Daniel knows God is higher than any king. Daniel's best friends that he has had, hey, pray with us. They all know God is higher than any of the kings that we have. And so you know, as Daniel has told them, hey, we're about to be killed if we don't get this thing figured out. When he goes and starts telling King Nebuchadnezzar, and again, I like to read into these and, and almost make them a little more personable. Um, you know that Shadok, Meshach, and Abednego are eagerly waiting to see what happens after he tells the king. And I always have this little vision in my head of them standing at the door with little glasses, trying to listen in, like, what's he saying? What's the king's dream? How's Nebuchadnezzar responding? 
You know that when Daniel got those things, and actually the next verse that I didn't read, verse 49, Daniel says, thanks for making me all these things. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're pretty cool guys too. You should bring them up. And that's how they start reporting to Daniel. So what does Daniel 2 tell us about these guys? They knew through their prayer, they knew how they responded, that God was the supreme being. He's higher than any earthly power. He is higher than the king. So they're starting to figure out, they're starting to exemplify the hierarchy in their head of where the king is and where God is. They also, in this story, saw God change the life and conduct of Nebuchadnezzar once before. So they saw how they could choose the right thing, and God could use that to change the life, to change the viewpoint of the king. So when we get to the story, when we get to the point of the fiery furnace, they're not there by themselves. It's not an isolated incident. When they say he can, he will, but even if he doesn't, it's not because they're just guessing. There's a few things that they did in their lives that really help show us how they came to that decision, and how we can make similar decisions in our lives. So they say he can. Why did they think he can? They knew the scriptures, so they knew not only what they could do and what they couldn't do, but they had read the stories of how God had saved the Israelites before. They had read the stories of how God had came in, of all the judges that came in, of God redeeming Israel, Israel turning its back, God redeeming them again. So not only did they know what they were supposed to do, but they knew God. They knew how he was able to make changes. And because of that, they knew God's power. So there was no question in their mind when they came to that point and they said, he can, that that was the absolute truth. No question about it. He will. Why did they believe that God would save them? They had simply seen God work in their own lives. So again, they had seen God stand up in the scriptures for those who did the right thing, but they had personal stories of how they had chosen to turn against a life of ease, a life of luxury, and how God blessed them for that. They saw how when they were about to be put to death, they prayed to God and said, God, save us. Show us your glory. Show the king your glory. And he did. They had a personal track record of God acting in their life and showing them love. So he can, he will. There was no question in their mind about that. I like to think the next part, but even if he doesn't, was for the king himself. It wasn't for them. I don't think there was any doubt in their mind that they would be saved. But even if he doesn't, though, when we see that, why would they say that? Why would they say, but even if he doesn't, it's still worth it to worship God. You, to worship our God, to not bow down to your statue. They had a history of choosing God when uh, they were able to have other things, when things were hard. They had a history of choosing God. There was no question what they were doing that time because they had always chosen God. They knew the holy text. They knew God would win in the end. And they also knew that God was still worth it even if He didn't improve their earthly lives. See, they had a viewpoint on heaven that none of us could see, that none of the Babylonians could see. They knew that their life on this earth was not worth it if they didn't stand up for what they believed in. So as they approach the king, as they say, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. 
It's because they knew that God could. They believed that he would. And they knew God so well. They believed in God so much that even if he didn't, they knew worshiping that God was better. That God would have had a plan through that. So we see that in their lives, and that is awesome. But what about our lives? Do you believe he can? When you're faced with situations that you don't know what to do, when maybe you put yourself in a bad situation, and you're crying out to God saying, God, help me, and it doesn't seem like he's there, do you believe that he can? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego very, very likely did not go to the fiery furnace without praying to God at any point. When they first heard the edict, hey, you have to come here and bow to the statue, don't you think they went and prayed? Don't you think they probably asked God, hey, God, this is kind of a big deal, like, save us? But they went, and when people bowed and they stood up, it's like, all right, God, any time now, that'd be pretty cool. They get brought to the king, and he says, hey, I've treated you guys really well. Why are you going to do this to me? And they say, we believe God can, he will, but even if he doesn't. And that makes the king so mad. He, he gets the furnace even hotter. And at no point, at this point, most of us will start sweating a little bit. All right, God, like, I think, I think you have the power, but, you know, it'd be kind of nice to see that. It'd make you wonder if they, they started to wonder that, but they hold strong. He will. Do you believe that God has your best in mind, your eternal best interest, that God wants the sanctification of your soul, that he wants your salvation? Because they're saying that even if he doesn't, even if we die, we know that God's got bigger plans than us. God wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be brought close to him. Have you built up a track record for God? Have you given him opportunities to prove himself to you? To prove that he will stand for you. He will stand with you. Because they did. And so they had the confidence to say, he can and he will. And then, but even if he doesn't, what? For them, but even if he doesn't, they die. But even if he doesn't, there is no plan B. They're gone. They're in heaven. They're with God. That's great. There is no plan B. When I look at my life, my but even if he doesn't is usually, I'm going to test God on this little tiny thing. If he doesn't come through next time, I probably just won't trust him as much. You know what? I'm going to trust God. But if he doesn't come through, I have a 401k I can fall back on. I'll be fine for a little bit. There is always a plan B in my head for the even if he doesn't. Their even if he doesn't is that they will die. There is no plan B. Have you ever been able to put yourself in that position where you don't have a plan B? Where you're completely relying on God to come through so that you can build that track record and say, God can, he will, But even if he doesn't, I know this is worth it. There is no plan B. This is all in. I am going all in on Jesus and what I feel he has told us to do. So how can we have that faith through the flames? How can we get to the point that we can say he can, he will, but even if he doesn't? When we look in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know that we can learn the scriptures. We can read this. We can see what God did for the Israelites. We have the benefit of reading the New Testament, of seeing what Jesus has done for us. We can know where we need to take our stands, where if someone wants to change our name, we can say, you know what, that's fine, but you can't change who I am. 
You're not going to change what I'm eating. You're not going to change what I'm consuming, what I'm putting into my body. You're not going to change what I believe. We can choose God early because that's what they did. When they were put in the palace, they said, we're going to worship God. We're going to choose God. So we can choose God early. We can know in advance that if this decision comes up, I will choose God. I will choose to follow God. I think that's great. You can also build your own track record of choosing God in every little thing. And through that, we give God opportunities to build a track record in our life. God doesn't have to prove his faithfulness to us. He has proven it over and over again. But I'm telling you, if you trust in God, if you ask him to prove it, he will come through. And you will have that confidence through your own life, not just through stories in the Bible of how God has come through, how God has blessed you. And then we die to ourselves every day. We're told in the New Testament that we are to uh, carry our cross, take up our cross, follow him, that we are to die to ourselves every day. And if you are truly able to choose God early, to trust in him with everything, to die to yourself... When the time comes for you to make a difficult decision that may involve you know, lower quality of life or just honestly may even end up in death if you follow God, you will have the confidence. You will know, I have died to myself every day. What's another death here? Because all it would take at that point is one more death for you to live forever. No more dying to yourself. It's seeing the face of God in that moment. So we can have the confidence to say, He can, He will. And But even if he doesn't, we will choose God. Through learning the scriptures, choosing God early, giving him opportunities to build a personal track record, uh, and allowing us to die to ourselves every day. Now as believers, one thing that we don't have to worry about for our eternal salvation is if he can or if he will. Because the only phrase that we need to know is that he has. Is that he did. Because all these things we've talked about are things that we can do to help us grow closer to God, to make wise choices, to have a faith that lasts through the flames. But none of this matters if we don't know that God came. He sent his son. He already did it all, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day that he's coming back for us. None of this matters. You can follow God. You can do all these great things. But if you don't know that truth, the knowledge isn't going to get you anywhere. But if you know that, if you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry, will God come through? Because he has. Because God's salvation has already came to you, to the church. Because Jesus died. He rose again. And there is no question left for us to ask. So as we sit here, as we we evaluate, and as I wrap up, You know, what did it take for Shadrach and Meshach to have a faith uh, that led them to the flames and eventually out of it? What does it take for us to have that faith ourselves? What are we doing to build that up? And if you're a Christian, those are all the questions you should be asking. And if you're not a Christian, the one question you should be asking is why not? Do I not believe that these stories happened? Do I believe that they happened but it doesn't seem pressing, it doesn't seem important in my life? Because the decisions you make now are the, the start of the decisions that you will make for the rest of your lives. And you don't know when the fiery furnace is going to happen for you. Whether that's losing your job or literally being threatened with death. You don't know when those trials are going to come. 
for you to have that faith, for you to have that backing, that's the decision you have to make now so that you can say, I don't just believe that God can and he will. I know that God has. And I know that I'm secure in my salvation and that wherever life leads me, God has saved me. He has done what needed to be done and I can have eternal life with him again. So go ahead and please bow as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We just thank you for your word and for the ways that you show who you are and what you've done through all the stories in the Bible, God. God, thank you for the example of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of how we see that the decisions that they made early in their lives point to the decisions that they make later in their lives to trust in you and everything. God, we ask that we will see that, that we will internalize that, that we will follow you, um, that we will know that, that you can, that we'll believe in your power, that we will know that you will, because you've proven it to us, you've proven it over and over again in the Bible, and that God, even if you don't, that our faith does not waver in those situations. God, we thank you for the salvation that you have brought upon uh, us and your church. God, we pray that we will share that with others. We thank you for, for the life and death that you lived, uh, and for all that you continue to do, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.